You're listening to a sermon from crckulaman.org. Okay, so if I could have Leola, she's going to give us the Bible reading today. Thanks, Leola. Our story today comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 14, starting at verse 22, and it's the story of Jesus walking on the water. Immediately, he made the disciples to get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side, while he sent the crowds away. After he had sent the crowds away, he went up on a mountain by himself to pray, and when it was evening, he was there alone, but the boat was already a long distance from the land, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, He came to them walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Peter said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came towards Jesus. But seeing the wind, he became frightened. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, You, O little of faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind stopped. And those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, You are certainly God's son. Well, with the heaters off today, we should all stay wide awake, shouldn't we? Hey, None of these uh, heaters to lull us off to, to sleep. Maybe my sermon will instead. It's a bit, bit ambitious of me to think you weren't going to sleep, wasn't it? Huh? <laughs> oh. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word to us today. Lord, uh, our, our desire is that uh, this, this word would really take root in our life. Heavenly Father, we just pray that you would just deposit something in our life today that, um, that would be truly transformational, something that would grow and something that would bear fruit in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. What do you think Jesus was praying about that evening up on the mountain? He's on a hill praying while a storm rages on Lake Galilee below. Now, he knows his disciples are battling a storm because he's the one that sent them out on the lake in the first place to head over to the other side. And Jesus is sitting there on a nearby mountain overlooking the lake. Can you picture that? And the text says that the boat has been battered by the waves, that the wind was against them, and that they were far from land, and that this is continuing throughout the night. What's Jesus doing? Like, why doesn't he go out and help them straight away? Imagine you're the disciples. Wind, waves versus wooden boat. 
I mean, you know what it's like when you're even just on a ferry in Sydney Harbour on a slightly rough day. I mean, it's wild. Can you imagine what it was like for the disciples that night? Straining, maybe with oars, I don't know. Did their boats have oars? I'm not a historian, I don't know. But I'm imagining oars, severe wind, and after an hour or two, you're going to be exhausted, aren't you? And you're fearful, and you're too far from land to abandon the boat and chance a swim. And the reality is most people of Jesus' day couldn't swim anyway even fishermen. And you're probably wondering why Jesus sent you out, left you out there to drown, while he's over on a nearby mountain praying. Now, you've been out on the lake from sundown, all right? And then it's not until early in the morning that Jesus comes walking on the lake to rescue you. So you've been there a heck of a long time. The text literally says that it was in the fourth watch of the night that Jesus comes. So uh, that's a reference to the Roman systems of watches in the night. And so it's not until somewhere between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. that Jesus goes out to his disciples. Now, I'm imagining then that they have been out on that lake, you have been out on that lake for anywhere up to eight hours. I mean, that's a long time to be battling severe wind and waves and to think that you're going to drown. You would be mentally, emotionally, physically exhausted, wouldn't you? Jesus waits a long time to come to them, doesn't he care? Doesn't he know what's happening? Has he forgotten them? What's Jesus playing at here? When he finally does come, if you read the Mark 6 version of his story, it says that he's going to walk straight past them, kind of like just, you know, smile and wave, boys, smile and wave. I mean, it's a strange story, isn't it? I mean, what's Jesus trying to do? Do you know what I think he's trying to do? I think... He's making disciples. I think he's making disciples whose faith is so rock solid they can walk on water. I think Jesus wants his disciples to understand what it really does mean to follow him, to follow after him and to do the things that he does. So, Jesus, up on that mountain praying, what was he praying about? We don't really know, do we? But this is what I think. I think he's been praying for his disciples. In Jesus' time, rabbis were obviously responsible for the, the spiritual growth of their disciples. And what they would do is they would get up early in the morning, well before daylight, And they would climb up to a high place that overlooked their sleeping disciples. And it was felt that the more strenuous and difficult the climb for the rabbi, the more committed he was to his band of followers. And uh, the rabbi, kind of looking down on his unsuspecting disciples below, would be fervently praying for them. 
He might be praying the scriptures over them, you know, passionately praying that the, the law, that the Torah would come alive in their hearts and minds. And so while his, Jesus' disciples are battling this fierce storm, Jesus is up on the mountain and I think he's interceding for them. I think this whole event is about Jesus wanting the faith of his disciples to grow. He, he wants them to trust him in a far greater way. He wants them to be bolder and stronger and more secure and sure who they are as his disciples. You know, faith is its like a muscle. It's only going to get stronger when it's exercised. And, of course, as many of us know all too well, if you don't exercise those muscles, what do they do? They turn to fat. No, they shrivel, they shrivel, they shrivel and they, they um, shrink. Faith's like that. Nothing is going to exercise your faith better than to be in a wooden boat in the middle of a storm on Lake Galilee. So there you are. You're one of the disciples. You're exhausted. I bet you can relate to that part right now, can't you? You're sitting there going, oh, man, I'm exhausted. Yep, got that. Maybe tip a cup of water over you or something just to get the full 4D experience. Okay. You're wet, you're scared, you can't swim, you're wondering where Jesus is. And then suddenly you see this figure coming towards you in the kind of the haze of all the, the wind and the waves. Now your first thought is probably not, oh, that's a person coming. Because people don't walk on water, do they? And even if you are expecting God or you know, Jesus to step in in this situation and help you out, the thing is God normally does the part the water and walk on dry ground sort of miracles, doesn't he? He doesn't normally do the walk on the water kind of thing. And so you see this figure coming and you're terrified because you think it's a ghost. Perhaps it's an evil spirit come to trick you or get you. And um, for Jewish people, chaotic waters, storms, they're often associated with the demonic or hell or evil. So things are looking bad. You're in a storm, you're going to drown, and now there's this ghost demon thing coming for you. But then Jesus speaks and he says, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Now there's something in that little phrase that Jesus says, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid, that's easy to miss if you don't read Greek. And none of us really read Greek, so we've probably all missed it, haven't we? But luckily, there are these Bible software things that you can cheat and you can look at and it kind of gives you some clues. And um, what Jesus gives here is kind of like the secret passcode, revealing his true identity. A more literal translation here would be to say that, that Jesus says, I am. In fact, our Saddleback Kids translation actually used the, the phrase, I am. I am, Jesus says. Who else do you know that calls himself I am? The Lord God Almighty, Yahweh. And so Jesus here confirms his presence, he confirms his divinity and his power. 
power over that physical storm and then power over that supernatural evil that is associated with it. And he's walking right over the top of it all. It's under his feet. And and maybe at this point the disciples are thinking of Job chapter 9 verse 8 that says, God alone stretches out the skies and he walks on the waves of the sea. And so Peter answers him with the most um, unexpected request, doesn't he? I mean, it's a real cracker. Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. Now, right now, if I was one of the other disciples, I don't know whether I'd be cheering Peter on right now and kind of a bit jealous that I didn't think to ask for that too, or whether I'm thinking, Peter, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard you say, and you've, you've done some, said some dumb things in your time. Um, you know, Peter, you can't swim. <laughs> I mean, and there's evil down there. That's the abyss. That's a crazy idea, Peter. Except it isn't. It isn't a crazy idea. Because Peter here is just literally and wholeheartedly Uh, taking heed of the call to be a disciple. I mentioned last time I I preached uh, that a a Talmud is the disciple of a rabbi. It's the word disciple. And in Jewish culture, gifted students who are in their teenage years who wanted to be a rabbi one day, they would find a rabbi that they really admired and that they really wanted to be like, and they would say, may I follow you? It was kind of like asking to be their apprentice, similar sort of thing, asking for an apprenticeship, a bit like that. And really what they were asking was, do I have what it takes to be like you? Now, only the best got accepted to be a Talmud. It wasn't for anyone who wanted it. So many, most would be rejected. Now, the rabbi either saw their potential to one day be like him, perhaps they were really smart, uh, they um, top of their class, maybe they got a top um, JTAR, Jewish tertiary admissions, I don't know, whatever it is. Um, maybe they asked the right sort of questions, they knew their Torah really well, and so the rabbi would then accept them to be uh, his student, his Talmud, or they'd think, no, this kid's just not going to cut it, Um, and they would say no, and they would send them home to work the family business or to learn a trade. Jesus, however, flipped this idea on its head, didn't he? Think about it. He chose his own disciples. They didn't come to him and ask him if they could follow him. He went to them and said, follow me. Think about John 15, 16. He says to the disciples, you did not choose me. I chose you. And who did he choose? Well, he chose the ones who were off learning a trade and working in the family business, didn't he? He chose the fishermen, the rejects, the ones who wouldn't get accepted by other rabbis because they didn't have what it takes to be 
a rabbi. He chose the ones with the least potential, at least from a cultural or human perspective. And so when Jesus uh, first came to Peter and the other disciples and, and, and said, come, follow me, they knew, they knew that their rabbi saw the potential in them to one day be like him. They knew that he knew that one day they could do the things he did. Now, of course, this was going to happen through a process of learning, wasn't it? Through growth. Yes, impartation of power from Jesus, but still lots of character development, lots of transformation of their, their hearts and their minds, lots of ministry practice. You know, they were apprenticed to him, weren't they? So, so what does all that mean for us who are called by Jesus to follow him as disciples? Has Jesus called you to follow him? I mean, are you saved to, to follow, to learn, to grow, to change, to develop, to have Christ formed in you? Or are you just saved for heaven? And if so, this life is, is just like an airport lounge and you're, you're sitting in the plastic chairs distracting yourself with your smartphone and some food till your ticket number gets called and whoosh, off you fly. When Peter says, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you. Peter just so passionately wants to be like his rabbi and do the things that his rabbi does that he risks drowning to follow after Jesus. How good's that? I mean, think of the trust that Peter has in Jesus to ask something so ridiculous and so bold of course, in verse 29, Jesus tells Peter, okay, come, come. And so Peter gets out of the boat and he starts walking on water and he comes to Jesus and he's doing it, isn't he? I mean, he's, he's walking on water just like Jesus is. Don't, don't miss that moment. Like, Peter is not the disciple who, who tried but failed. He's, he's the one who tried and actually did it didn't he? he? He walked on water. Like, don't let's just emphasise the, 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 the um, sinking part. Like, he walked on water after Jesus. And of course, it's a little bit funny, isn't it, when you think about it, like Peter the Rock walking on water. I mean, it wasn't Simon the Feather or John the Buoyant one, was it? It was Peter the Rock floating out there on the stormy sea. But, of course, we don't know how far he got. Was it two steps? Was it 20 steps? And he, he notices the wind. That particular word, wind, there, my Bible dictionary defines it as, wait for it, a violent agitation and stream of air. A bit over the top. But the point is, it's wild out there on the water, okay? It's wild out there. And Peter is terrified. He begins to sink. 
Now, the wording here indicates this, that, that, that he didn't suddenly kind of like drop like a rock, did he? It's, it's more of a gradual sinking, slowly. And the image I get here is, is I imagine he's sort of like he's inflated with faith. Imagine a balloon blowing up. And so he's, he's, he's full of faith. He's, he's full of trust in Jesus. He's got this passion to do what Jesus does. So he's like a balloon. And then fear gets in there. And it's like this tiny little, little pinprick in there and this tiny little slow leak and, um, you know, you imagine a balloon with a slow leak and it just slowly kind of deflates. Barely noticeable sometimes, isn't it? It just slowly deflates. And, and so Peter's faith here just slowly starts to deflate and shrink and shrivel and, and wither like a balloon. And as his faith deflates, Peter starts to sink. Does your faith ever get a slow leak? Nor does it just pop and explode. <laughs> Peter calls out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reaches out, takes hold of him and says, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Now, little faith here is different to no faith. In the Bible, people with no faith uh, would be described as having hard hearts. Small faith is not no faith. It's, it's more like weak faith, trusting only a, a little bit. So Peter has faith. It's just not functioning effectively here. It's not strong, rock, solid faith. Now, the question, of course, is what, what did he actually doubt? Did he doubt the power of Jesus? Well, I don't think so. I mean, Jesus is standing in front of him, clearly demonstrating his power over the water, isn't he? And, and of course, Peter, in his doubt, calls out to Jesus to save him. So, so Peter clearly has faith in Jesus and in Jesus' power. So what's he doubting? Uh, Ray Vanderlyn makes this observation, and he has an excellent series called That the World May Know that um, has a lot of this sort of Jewish historical background in it. Highly recommend a watch of that series if you can. Um, but this is what Ray Vandalin uh, suggests. He, he suggests that, that Peter is actually doubting the power of the call of Jesus upon his life. So Peter is doubting here that he can be empowered to do the things that Jesus does. He's doubting his capacity as a disciple. So he's got faith in Jesus as Jesus as the I am who has authority over creation. But Peter doesn't trust in the authority that Jesus has over his life and that, that, that God or Jesus would or could empower him to be just like him and do what he does. Of course, he's not the first follower, is he, to go through a, a faith crisis. And, and this whole event sees Jesus giving his disciples an opportunity to exercise their faith in who they are called to be as followers of Jesus. And they're pushed to the limits of what they think is possible. Jesus wants them to know that they do have what it takes to be like him. Moreover, it's his intention that they should become like him. 
If you were to flick back in your Bible or scroll back or whatever to Matthew 10, you would see Jesus giving the disciples authority over evil spirits, the power to heal disease and sickness, and then he sends them out, doesn't he? Sends them out to proclaim the good news and to cure the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers and cast out demons. And then there's a reminder in Matthew 10, 25, that a disciple is not above the teacher. It is enough for the disciple to be like the teacher. Jesus wants his followers to be like him and to trust who he has called them to be. So, what does that mean for us? Ray Vandalin says, we must believe that Jesus calls us to be disciples because he knows that he can so instruct, empower and fill us with his spirit that we can be like him, at least in our actions. We must believe, otherwise we will doubt that he can use us and as a result we will not be like him. He's called you to be his disciple because, you know, he knows you have what it takes to be like him because he's given you what it takes to be like him, hasn't he? Think about it. He's given you a new nature, a new identity. You know, you've been born again, haven't you? And then he's clothed you, filled you with power, with the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit's not just a nice metaphor or part of a benediction, is it? The Holy Spirit is God deposited and living in you. We are in Christ, aren't we? Christ is in us. And then he teaches you his word. And what that does is, is it means that your, your will, your desires, your thoughts, they're shaped by his word and by truth. And then you have fellowship and relationship with him. I mean, do you know how much he loves you? Do you know how much he cares about you? Do you know that from heaven, your rabbi, Jesus, continues to intercede for you and pray fervently and passionately that the word would come alive in your life? prays for you as his disciple. Dallas Willard, from his book Renovation of the Heart, talks about uh, the new life that we receive from God being like a seed. And it's a seed that's, that's planted in soil. And this life that is planted in us uh, will be poised to become uh, a life of the same quality as Christ's. Because it is indeed Christ. He really does live in us. The incarnation continues. I mean, let your mind just ponder on that. That's, that's mind-blowing, folks. You know, knowing all this and trusting all this, pre presumably you do know and trust in all of this, I mean, are you prepared to get out of the boat? I mean, who is Jesus calling you to be? 
and, and when I say this, I'm thinking along the lines of your character and fruit of the Spirit and gifts of the Spirit. Well, what is he calling you to do? How are you called to be Jesus to others in your sphere and world of influence? As others have said, if you want to follow a rabbi who walks on water, you need to be prepared to get out of the boat, don't you? Now, perhaps you want to. You're like, yeah, love to do that. (laughs) Um, But, you know, you feel like everything's coming against you, like you're relating to the disciples in the storm. You're like, I'm just battling strong wind and waves every day. They just keep on coming at me. And, and you're thinking, I'm just, I'm just I'm tired. I am mentally, emotionally, physically exhausted. I get it. I, I understand. It's, it's hard to trust the call of Jesus. It's hard to step out of the boat knowing you can't swim and drowning is a very real option. I find it hard to trust the the call and the plans of Jesus for my life. I I think I wrestled with the call to become a pastor for 10 years. I think I still wrestle with it most weeks. I mean, I doubt so many things about me in relation to being a pastor and a leader. And I must say, this this passage has spoken really significantly to me as I I wow, Lord, you know, what are you... What are you calling me to to do and be and and what does the next 10 to 15 years of my life look like and how do you want to shape my character and and my person and and, and, and what do you want me to step out in, Lord? And, you know, I I have lots of ideas and thoughts about that. There's there's no end to the the inspiration there. But... um, you know, often my all-too-little faith, it just shrinks. And I, I see all the wind and the waves. I see all the things that would make it far too hard and difficult. And um, it, it often does stop me getting out of the boat. So let me leave us, us, with three challenges, shall I? The first challenge... Peter was sold out to the concept of becoming just like his rabbi. And are you sold out to that too? And what might that look like in your life? Secondly, are you willing to exercise your faith like a muscle? Are you willing to step out with Jesus in challenging or difficult situations where it's all a bit unknown, really, what will happen? And then thirdly, when, Jesus, when Peter asked to walk on water, I, I just want us to note that his request was sort of like an automatic instinct. He didn't seem to be rationally analysing the situation and making a sort of a, a pro and con choice about the best decision here. His brain just kind of went, well, look at what Jesus is doing. I think I should do that too, Blah. And I think it was automatic and instinctual because the routines of his life were so focused around becoming like his rabbi that it was just this habit his brain had formed. See Jesus, copy Jesus. 
Jesus do? I do. And, and so I guess the, the, the challenge for us is whether in chaos or whether just in ordinary life, do you instinctually go to do what Jesus would do? Is your brain kind of habitually trained to, to copy Jesus? If you haven't done that habit audit that I spoke about last time, I'd encourage you to do that. If you're not sure what I'm referring to, go back and find the, the last sermon I preached. But, but do that habit audit and, and ask yourself, well, well, are the routines of my life wrapped around Jesus? As his disciple, are my daily uh, habits helping me to become more or less like my rabbi? Like, do my daily routines allow me to exercise faith in his calling upon my life? So three challenges there for us. I'd love to, I'd love to hear from you how they might look in your life. But let me, let me leave you today with a quote from C.S. Lewis. Nothing like a C.S. Lewis quote is there. It may be hard for an egg to turn into a bird. It would be a jolly sight harder for it to learn to fly while remaining an egg. We are like eggs at present, and you cannot go on indefinitely just being an ordinary, decent egg. We must be hatched or go bad. Hmm. Let me pray. Yeah, Lord God Almighty, you are the one who has power over the wind and the waves. You are the great I am. And yet you come and you, you call us to be your disciples, to follow after you, to do the things that you do, to grow in our, our, our character and our, our nature, to grow in the, the way we think and feel and act, to, to be like you. So Heavenly Father, we do want to have the image of Christ formed in us. And for some of us, there's, there's fear about what that might look like. For some of us, there's stubbornness, holding on to uh, parts of our life or, or control over our life that, that, that we're not quite ready to give up yet. Some of us are willing, but we're just, we're just tired because we've been battling that storm for what seems like an eternity. Lord God Almighty, you know the, you know the condition of our heart. You know the, the stumbling blocks that are in our life that, that, that stop us stepping out of that boat, stop us having the, the faith to respond to your call upon our life. And, and so I just pray that you would um, uh, gently challenge us gently encourage us that you would bring um, just new revelation and new desire into our life. I just pray that you would both um, convict but also comfort us, Lord, about who you have called us to be. Lord, I just pray that you would show us a, a, a clear way forward and, and, and the changes that you would have us make in our life so that, that, that we would grow, so that we would hatch out of that egg and, and, and learn to fly, Lord. And, and we, we know that, that um, we are called to, to fly. We are called to, um, to be transformed 
And so we do just offer our bodies as, as living sacrifices to you that we might be holy and pleasing and acceptable in your sight. And so I just pray that you would transform us, transform our inner life, our mind, transform our bodies, our, our physical bodies, Lord. And um, would you just um, exercise our faith so that our faith, our trust in you would grow, would increase and would expand, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.